Welcome to SECC. We pray that you are blessed today as you listen. Verse 26 to 40. Philip and the Ethiopian. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go, down, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candence, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? Then he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Um, I wonder what your reaction to that story is that Lizzie just read to us a moment or two ago. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 40, if you've got it, you might want to open it. Um, We'll refer to a couple of verses as we go through. But I wonder what your reaction to that story is. Um, What's your initial kind of, uh, well, I won't stop saying the word reaction, but reaction to it. I think it's one of the most exciting stories in the whole of the book of Acts. I think of all the stories that make me want to be a Christian, I think this is one of them. Um, I want to be a Christian for many other reasons. Um, But actually, this story is so exciting uh, that I find myself being ever so slightly jealous in a Christian way um, of Philip. Here is a man that gets to see something quite dramatic and vibrant about God and mission uh, that as a Christian I long for. Uh, I hope you long for it as well because if we're not longing for the passion of serving our God um, in the kind of dangerous areas, the areas at the edge of town or wherever they may be, then I put to you that we're probably getting something wrong somewhere. Our hearts should burn for mission. Our hearts should long to share the gospel with our neighbors and our friends, our husbands and our wives and our children, our parents, our uncles, aunts, whoever. That stranger in the bus stop, we should long that God would use us mightily in the way he used Philip. So I wonder what your reaction is to that story. Is it just a story or do you see it as something that you could be, uh, have a similar um, reaction, similar experience of? So we'll just dive in to Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 40. Like I say, if you've got it open, that would be uh, great, just to refer to various verses. 
Uh, this is, of course, at the second half. Um, See, so we have an extended service with the first half and the second half. We're copying Luke. Uh, Luke, the gospel writer, has two books, uh, essentially a kind of one book, essentially, with two halves. You've got the first half, the gospel of Luke, and the second half is the, this story, the Acts of the Apostles. And the Acts of the Apostles is, really records the early history of the early church. And it's a story of those initial believers, spirit-filled, empowered by God himself, to spread out from Jerusalem and go into all the world and preach the good news of Jesus Christ that death is defeated, sin can be atoned for and you can be made brand new on the inside to take that message into a dying, broken world not just to Jews, which had been the expectation up until that point but now to Gentiles, to non-Jews in other words, the whole world the title, The Acts of the Apostles, we've shortened it to Acts because we're quite lazy, uh, but its official title is The Acts of the Apostles. It's actually coined by a second century bishop, a guy named Irenaeus. I think his first name is uh, Clive. That's a joke. Of course it wasn't. Not a funny joke, obviously, but never mind. Um, but he coined that phrase because really this is the story of what happened next. This is the bit after Jesus' ascension back to his father. His work is completed. It is finished, he declares on the cross. He goes back to his father. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, on all believers, fulfilling that wonderful prophecy in Joel 2 about dreams and visions and the, the day of the Lord. And this is the bit, what happened next, how the apostles initially, but not just the apostles, how all those new believers found out and literally changed the world don't you want to change the world? I do. I'm 43. The years are passing much quicker than I thought they would. Even I now. I played football on Monday night the other day, and I was the oldest person on the pitch, and it's heartbreaking. What happened? What happened? I was the young guy, but now I'm not. But the years are ticking, but I want to change the world. I want to tell people about Jesus. I don't want to change the world. I want to change people's lives. I want to change people's eternities. And Acts tells us that this is what the church was in the business of doing passionately from day one. What happened in that story is an explosion of mission. The spread of good news and the world was never the same since. The Acts of the Apostles or the book of Acts really is more than history. It's really a 28 chapter challenge for the reader all those years later. We're not just to look at this and say, oh, that's interesting. Hope I have a scorpion hanging off the end of my hand and throw it into a fire. That would be fun, wouldn't it? No. It's actually for us to watch as our ancestors, because this is our family. We're more than just our blood family, but our spiritual family, as they fight and strive and die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The expectation in these 28 chapters, isn't that we'll watch it from afar two centuries later, uh, two millennia later, sorry. Um, but actually the expectation in this book is that we will see what they did and do it as well. Continue their mission of taking the gospel to the edge of our town and the next town, our nation, other nations, the whole world. But we will strive and fight and in some cases die. And thank the Lord for those that are prepared to give their life for the gospel. This morning I just want to make a few simple points from this text about this idea of mission. We're still uh, going through our series Love Your Church and this week's session number seven is witness and today is about witnessing for Jesus Christ. Now we'll talk about the idea of mission and sharing the gospel. When we talk about mission that's what we're talking about, sharing the good news of Jesus that you can have everlasting life. 
So a couple of points. Number one, first of all, is that mission is exciting Christianity. Isn't this story really what you signed up for? Think back to when you first heard the gospel. Wasn't it full of expectation and excitement? You thought, oh, wonder what, wonder when the, that's going to happen to me. What am I going to do that? John Wimber, the well-known um, sort of leader in a charismatic renewal movement, uh, when he first became a Christian, uh, uh, famously said, when does the stuff start happening? And I love it um, because it's very straightforward. I've read the Bible, so when does this stuff start happening to me? And there'll be some well-meaning Christian that will say, ah, oh, well, that just happened in the first century. What? <laughs> really? No, that doesn't, that's not how it works. God is the same God. God does incredible things when his people want to be used by him. But this is what we signed up for. This is, I think, one of the most amazing stories in the New Testament. Actually, not just a book of Acts. It's chasing chariots. It's meeting strangers. It's baptizing people in puddles. Don't you want to do that? I want to do that. I'm glad that Jack's relieved we've done his. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll say right outside. But, but it's even more amazing for Philip because he uniquely gets to experience something Elijah did, that being taken away spiritually by the Holy Spirit. That necessarily doesn't happen to us. But that wonder, power of God is evident in this story. And it's so exciting, so exciting for Philip to be in the eye of the sovereign work of God. God calls him to go to this place in Gaza, the last watering hole, the last watering place before the desert road. How amazing. We could make so many analogies just from that alone, couldn't we? How many people get to their last watering place and we're the people that are supposed to preach life before they go on a desert road, dry and without any hope? But this is exciting Christianity. He's put there by God to save this man's soul. Verse 26, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down to Jerusalem to Gaza. And then we read in verse 29, the spirit took hold of Philip, sorry, told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. In my mind, it's very ninjury, church ninjury again. That kind of, there's a chariot, I'm going to kind of go like this and get to it, and listen to what he's saying. But how amazing is that, to be told by God, go there, stand there, say this to that person. I want that. You see, vibrant Christianity is the preserve of the mission field. Not the other way around. Vibrant Christianity is found when we serve sacrificially, when we go on mission. And I love telling people about Jesus. I was at the pub the other day. That was a joke. Being going to the pub's fine. Me and Andrew at the pub. So she's, she was there as well. And, uh, and I, was at, I was at the white line at the top of our road where we go once in a while. And as we were there, a guy that I know a little bit, don't know him very well, came over and we started talking about our pop-up shop, our community shop, where we're helping local people with free food. And he was telling me how good it was and this, that, and the other. We got chatting. And then he said, uh, asked about a church. And I said to him, you should start coming. Why don't you come to church? And then he said this to me. Well, I believe in yin and yang. And these are my exact words, and I apologize if I offend anyone. Why do you want to believe in that rubbish? Why do you want to believe in that sort of thing, where the good you get is only balanced out by the bad you do, or the bad that happens to you is only balanced out by the good you do? Why do you want to believe in that? It's rubbish. He was a bit taken aback. But I said to him, let me tell you what I believe. 
I believe in unlimited, unmerited, eternal grace. I believe in a forgiveness that goes well beyond what I can possibly do. That God can forgive you of everything you do. It sounds more grand when I replay it, but that's essentially what I told him. And he said, oh. (laughs) He's not here, so you can see how the conversation went. But I did it. And I thought, there I am holding my pint of Guinness in the pub, talking to someone about Jesus. And I thought, this is wonderful. And I haven't yet convinced myself that that's my mission field and I should go every night. But don't worry, don't panic. (laughs) But vibrant Christianity is the preserve of the mission field. Often we get it wrong. We think, I'll feel more alive when I get all the things I want within the church. When the church is what I want. Or Christianity or my life matches what I think it should do. Then I'll be vibrant. Then I'll be excitable. Actually, the reverse is true. When we serve God when we take risks, when we're sacrificial, do you know what? Worship becomes alive. Our Bible study leaps off the pages. Our prayer times become dynamic. Why? Not because they're any different or what we want necessarily, but because we are alive, because we have found God on the mission field and our Christianity is vibrant. Don't you want to be like Philip, move to that time and place at just the right place to be where someone is on that last chance saloon before they enter a desert road of their life? Don't you want to be the person that gets there just that moment to preach the good news of Christ so that when they go through that desert road, be it a loss of a loved one or loss of a job or an illness or depression or whatever it might be, we were there just the right time. We said just the right things. We explained Isaiah 53 who Christ was, or whatever we might say. Don't you want to be that person? I know I do. Mission is exciting, Christianity. The second point from this passage is that mission is most important. It is good news for all. We're told at great lengths that the Ethiopian was a a eunuch, uh, either literally or just in terms of a title, a royal title. Verse 27, we realize just how important this man was. So he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone up to Jerusalem to worship. He'd obviously become a proselyte, become a Jew by decision, not by birth, and he'd gone to worship. But he was clearly very important in the royal court of the Ethiopian queen. And what's lovely about the book of Acts is the book of Acts is at pains to remind us through its various stories of the gospel, that Christ, his death, resurrection, ascension, and soon return to judge the living and the dead is for all kinds of people. We've got the beggar at the beautiful gate at the beginning of the story. Halfway through, we've got this guy, this royal man. Then we've got Festus at the end of the book of Acts. All three need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts is showing us uh, really that this good news is for all people, but not just in Jerusalem, but Samaria and the ends of the earth. Let me ask you to stand up for a second. You stand up for a second if you can. Just stand and just have a look around this room. Just look around, don't move. Don't move, not allowed to. And just look at who's, who works up London, who, who doesn't have a job, who's retired. Look at the young people in the room. Those from different parts of the world, old, young, middle-aged, don't look this way, um, things like that. And just look. This shouldn't work. This should not work. You can sit down. Sorry. Because actually human beings love to group with those they're most like. But when we come to know Christ, 
There is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, old or young. When we do it right, this is the most wonderful place on earth because the gospel is the only message for all people. Mission, then, is driven by conviction that Jesus is for all people. And the moment the Christian says, that group won't understand it, that group won't be interested, we rob God of his honour and we fail him. There are so many different groups There's a whole LGBTQ community out there that most of us don't quite know what to say to. And we say, well, they won't be interested. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. I would say they need Christ more than anyone else at the moment because the search for identity is such a big thing. And we need to be there saying, this is who you actually are. You're made in the image of God. and God loves you. Not just them, everybody else. Mission then, number three, is partnership. The most humbling part of this passage is that Philip does all of this in partnership with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit goes first, if you like. He awakens the Egyptian's heart, taking him to the temple. He's reading the words of Isaiah 53, the suffering servants. But Philip is still needed. The Ethiopian was ready to hear by the power of the Holy Spirit, but Philip must now speak. In fact, he gets in and journeys with him for a time. And it's so important. Mission is never just God's job. I've heard many Christians over the years say, God can do whatever he wants. God doesn't need me. It sounds so almost right. But what if God doesn't need you, but God chooses to need you? That would change everything, surely. Romans chapter 10, verse 12 to 15. Paul writes this. For there is no difference between Jew or Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. And richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. In other words, how many people are ready to hear? But we're not ready to tell. I read this quote this week. Somebody wrote this. In the Great Commission, the Lord has called us to be like Peter, fishers of men. We've turned that commission around so that we have become merely keepers of the aquarium. Occasionally, I take some fish out of your fishbowl and put it into mine. And you do the same with my bowl. But we are all tending the same fish. How many Ethiopians are there, out there, hearts awakened at the last watering place before the desert road? And how often does the Holy Spirit say, now is the time to speak? And how many of us refuse to be Philip? And we condemn them to a desert road without the gospel of peace. So how can we be like Philip? Well, three things in reverse order to mix it up. The first thing you need for mission is God's sovereignty. Sorry, not not in reverse order on the screen, by the way. Um, Is God's sovereignty. In chapter 8, verses 1 and 4, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And God's people, with the exception of the apostles, were scattered. They were sent out from Jerusalem. They ran for their lives, essentially. And they went to all various places. That's a bad thing. You'd say that's bad. Persecution's not great. Who wants that? I don't. But it's not great. But yet... The sovereignty of God meant that that bad thing was a good thing. As they were scattered, they scattered the gospel with them. 
And they went preaching wherever they went, it says in verse 4. This is a bad situation that the sovereignty of God turned into a mission opportunity. Acts teaches us, if nothing else, to trust God who is above all of human history. God in his sovereign power uses the events of world history for mission. Scattering leads to scattering of good news. And so the Christian must never despair at global events. We must never despair of what happens globally. We must pray. We must weep and mourn for those who lose their lives or who are in destitute or whatever it may be. But we must never despair because that will suggest you don't believe in God's sovereignty over even world events. Foreign policy sits below God's sovereignty. Whatever happens in the world, we must simply be saying, Lord, what is the opportunity for mission now? Where's the new opportunity? And how can I make best use of it? Second thing that you need to uh, be like Philip, or we need, is to be spirit-filled. This whole passage really is a practical outworking of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you from on high. You'll be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is what spirit-filled mission looks like. But then leads us to our third point. And number one on my list in reverse order. What you need for mission is an open heart. In chapter 6, verse 5, we have the most strangest description of a, a great evangelist that you'll ever read. So there was a grumbling in the church about the widows, those who are Hebrew Jews by birth and those who are non-Hebrew Jews by birth. Those who are non-Hebrew Jews by birth were uh, considered themselves not cared for by this new church in chapter 6. And so they complain and they say, this is not fair, we should be looked after in the same way. And so the apostles say, let's choose some people, and they will look after uh, these uh, non-Hebrew Jewish widows. There we are. Um, and they'll look after them, because it's not for us to wipe down tables and do practical pastoral behind-the-scenes care stuff. We've got to preach the gospel. And so do you know who they choose? A whole list of people. And in that list is, Peter, uh, is Philip and Stephen. I find it really fascinating. These two men are picked for a kind of behind-the-scenes task in this new church. But both these two men are probably some of the greatest evangelists in the book of Acts. How fascinating is that? How many of us would say, well, that's not my calling. I've been asked to do that, and I'm going to stay here and do this. But these two men were so open-hearted that they couldn't help but be used by God for great things. They wanted to be, do the work of evangelist, even if they didn't have the title. They were called for one thing, but they couldn't help but do the other. And that open-heartedness, I put it to you, leads then to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit with an open servant heart, then I believe God begins to move sovereignly to use you for his kingdom. And isn't that what you want to do as well? It's exactly what I want to do. And it's what the book of Acts tells us we should be doing. I'm going to pray. Um, and it'd be good to respond, actually. So should we just shut our eyes for a second? Um, because it's as simple as I think just saying Lord here I am send me like Isaiah said in the beginning of his book and maybe one of the reasons none of us have shared the gospel for a long time is we've forgotten to ask the most simplest of questions Lord give me a chance to share the faith, my faith this morning or this afternoon or somewhere else and so with their eyes shut if you feel convicted by that, I ask you to stand up where you are. I want to pray for you that God will give you the three things we've just ended with.
So if you feel convicted and you want to share your faith more this week, just take a stand from where you are. If you're at home, you can join us as well. Let me just pray those three things over your lives, just with our eyes shut. First of all, I want to pray that you would have an open heart, that that reaction to today's talk would be something that would turn into a habit. Father God, I pray for these people, or those at home standing up as well. Father, I ask that you would just bless them, that, Lord, you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that, Lord, you would give them an, an open heart, that, Lord, that feeling of I want to share my faith, Lord, wouldn't just stay in a church service, that it would become a habit. That, Lord, as they leave this place, you would change how they see the world. That, Lord, I pray that when they go to work or when they're with their friends and family, they wouldn't see it as work, social, and then church. They would see everything, Lord, as mission. That they would recognize that what they write, uh, what they say, how they act, Lord, everything, Lord, is about your glory. So, Father God, give them a heart, Lord, that is desperate to share the good news with everyone they meet. Father, my next prayer, and I'm standing as well, so I pray this for myself. Lord, that with that open heart, we, we confess that we lack the gifts and the words to know what to say. So, Father God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray you fill all these people and me, Lord, and those at home with the Spirit of the living God. Holy Spirit, will you fall upon your people and that you would, Lord, give us the words to say, give us ears to hear. Let us listen to you. And let us know when to go, when to stand, what to say, what not to say. Teach us how to listen. Remind us of what we've read so that we will say it. And then, Lord, finally, I want to pray, Lord, that your sovereign hand will be upon our lives. That, Lord, this week, this week, something would happen. That you would maneuver us or maneuver someone into our path. That we would hear your Holy Spirit say, say it now. Lord, in your sovereignty, Lord, maneuver us to where you want us to be so that we can preach the good news that has saved our souls and that we can preach the gospel of peace before people go onto that desert road. Lord, I lift up all those stood here. Lord, take that as a sign, Lord, a simple sign that these hearts are open. And Lord, I pray for your, that you would use each one of these mightily, Lord, for your kingdom. And Lord, as we sit down now, I pray your blessing on each one of us now in Jesus' name. Amen.